0: Carnell Williams at the tailback, they'll hand it off to Williams up the middle, 25, cuts it inside, 35, 40, there goes Cadillac, to the 50, to the 40, to the 30,
1: to the 20, to the 15, 10, go crazy, Cadillac goes crazy, touchdown, Now they can play a little safer, but they're not going to, Knicks is back, throws it downfield, Touch, Touchdown, Williams! A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byram waits for the snap in the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Auburn Today podcast. As always, my name is Noble, and I'm joined here with my co-host, Wheeler. Today, we have a lot to talk about. We're going to be breaking down Auburn's tragic Birmingham Bowl loss. We're going to be breaking down a little bit of the roster, guys that are leaving, guys that are staying, potential guys coming in, potential guys going out, all that good stuff. We're going to be talking a little bit about the quarterback situation. We know that's been a very hot topic around the fan base in the past couple weeks. Uh, we're going to break down a little bit of basketball, and then I've got a little bit of Auburn and the pros update for everybody at the end of the podcast. So excited about this, and let's just jump right into it. Wheeler, obviously on the 28th, Auburn fell to the Houston Cougars, 17-13 to in the Birmingham Bowl. Uh, pretty frustrating game, especially at the end there, but you know, a lot of the fans were really losing their minds. But what was your thought process from the beginning of the game throughout and uh right at the end there just kind of where was your mind going and what uh takeaways what were your biggest takeaways from the game would you say
0: all right so for people who are new to the podcast and people who I guess just haven't really put together what we're meaning I'm just going to clarify Noble and I often say that we are smoking the crack talking about being excited about Auburn Athletics We typically refer to me as the one who's smoking the crack and Noble. Well, he never smokes it anyway. It's similar to drinking the Kool-Aid. It's just thinking like, wow, we're going to be really, really good when there's not really a reason to. Um, So that's just a disclaimer. We're not actually smoking crack anyway. When you smoke crack, sometimes you have a big withdrawal and you have a big fall off. That is exactly what the December 28th Birmingham Bowl performance was for Auburn fans such as myself. We all smoke the crack of Demetrius Davis is going to come out. He had 15 practices where he was getting starter reps. He's going to come out, and he's going to look like Nick Marshall. It's going to be great. The receivers are all going to be wide open. They're going to get the ball hit right into their hands because T.J. Finley's ankle isn't hurt anymore. Now. The offensive line. Oh, the offensive line has 15 practices. It's against an American team. They're going to be dominant. No. The defense. Man, this defensive line is going to be just nasty next year. They're going to start it off big time this year. No. Linebackers. Oh, man. Owen's going to be back. He's at practice. I saw the videos. Christmas Eve. Let's go. It's Owen. He's back. Covid. Oh, man, the DBs, they're the strength of our team. Roger, where'd you go? You left us. (laughs) Every aspect that I was smoking the crack on just really, really hurt me. Now, that being said, the defense did have a good game, in my opinion. I thought the defensive line, they were getting some good pressure. I thought they played a good game. That was a little bit of a joke cracking on the defensive line. And I do think they're going to be really good next year. So defensive line, I would give a B plus to an A minus for this game. I thought the defensive line played well. Linebacker, Chandler Wooten had the best game of his entire Auburn career. Honestly, Chandler played well enough to win the game. And if Owen Papo wasn't out with what we now believe is COVID, the defense is playing even better because you're having Chandler playing the game of his life, plus Owen. Nothing against the other linebackers. I thought that the other linebackers actually played pretty well compared to how they've played in other games when they've come in. Like the Georgia State game, the linebackers that were behind Zacoby and Chandler had a really, really tough day. I thought that they really stepped up and had a solid day against Houston. Even on that first drive that they scored a touchdown, I think the frustrating thing about that first drive was Auburn had them dead to rights like three or four times where you thought a stop was happening, and then they get like a third and 18 or there was a penalty. So it was just a tough drive to watch, but I really did. I thought that the linebackers played well. And then again, the secondary. I thought the secondary played well for who it was. And that, that was the frustrating and sad thing, was that you couldn't get mad at the players for the result that was happening because – they weren't the starters for the entire year. I mean, you look at safety, you're already missing your starting safety. Smoke is going out there playing a great game, but you know, as soon as you watch that first drive and Smoke head hunts three people, you know it's one of those days he's going to get a targeting. Like, you cannot play four quarters of football going head hunting like he was in the first half and not get a targeting. Heck, the guy technically got two targetings. I mean, He had one that got reviewed and got overturned. And I agree. I think that the targeting against smoke was soft. I hate the targeting rule, but you knew it was coming. Okay. I mean, it was a dumb targeting. I think it was the dumbest targeting I've seen out of Auburn players because it wasn't even like hitting the guy that had the football. It was just like, oh, I'm going to throw this block. I'm going to look awesome. And you throw this horrendous technique block and you don't even de the guy. So you end your college career on basically whiffing on a block. I don't know. Very disappointing. But the safeties that came in, I mean, heck, Devin Geis is who gave up that last touchdown. Guy's a walk-on. All right? So, like, I thought that the team and the guys that were there were ready to play. I thought that this coaching staff had them ready to play. I thought that they gave a great effort. And I was pleased as far as the effort And the preparation. I didn't feel like Auburn lost the game because of effort or preparation on the offensive end. Bright spots along with some really sad spots. Um, I thought the receivers had a great game getting open. Um, Probably their best game of the season that was not, you know, Alabama State or Akron. And, I mean, Houston's a pretty talented defense. I mean, they're they're not great, but they're not – horrible so i thought that was improvement that we kind of saw throughout the year um i thought tank had a really good game would have loved to see him get a few more carries but it's really tough to give somebody more carries when they're putting eight guys in the box and that's been the problem all year has been that teams don't respect auburn's passing game enough to back out of the box and give tank just a little bit of breathing room and that's not on the o-line either like Teams, when you put that many guys in the box, typically are not able to run the ball um, unless, you know, it's just something ridiculously special. But you saw it in the playoff game with Alabama. Everybody said, oh, wow, well, they were able to blow Cincinnati's, you know, line and linebackers out of the way. Well, yeah, they're playing a three-three-five with a too high safety look because they don't want the top getting taken off the defense. And so they just took what the defense was giving them. Harson did the same thing of taking what the defense was giving him. The difference is his players weren't able to execute. Um, TJ Finley, we've given him a lot of crap on the pod. I think that there were some bright spots with TJ and some concerning spots. that, And that's kind of been the reason why we didn't think he was going to be the starter. Again, I thought his decision-making in this game was really solid. I thought he was going to the right guy with the ball. There weren't many plays where he's throwing to a guy that's covered up and there's a wide-open guy streaking down the field, which honestly Bo Nicks tended to struggle with a little bit in making all of his progressions. He'd sometimes leave a wide-open guy and not throw it to him. TJ attempted a pass in the direction of the open guy every time. The problem is his execution was not where it needs to be to win games in the SEC or apparently to win games in the American. So that's kind of where we are right now with the quarterback. We have a quarterback who can make decisions against a slower-than-SEC defense and was unable to execute. It clear, It did look like his ankle was still hurting him a little bit. I will give him that. He was not 100% healthy, but it's going to be very rare that you're going to go out in an SEC season and be 100% healthy. That's just not how football works, and so you, at some point, you got to start making the passes and completing the passes. Um, I am surprised that Demetrius Davis didn't get a couple of snaps. Um, I'm really surprised. Harson said post game that they had some stuff built in for him, and they just didn't ever think that TJ was playing bad enough. I, I'm intrigued. I guess maybe sometimes in practice he hits those passes and they thought law of averages if the receivers keep running open and he keeps making the right decision, eventually he's going to hit the pass and it just never happened. Um, I don't know. I did, And I do feel bad for Harson because he took a lot of risks that should have worked and, like, were right there. And I feel like he had the most unlucky season I've ever seen. Like, yes, there were some coaching moves that were dumb. Those are well documented. But I also feel like he got his fair share of unlucky things to happen to him. I mean, just going back through the season, Kobe Hudson fumbled the ball in the Penn State game, untouched. Guy was a quarterback in high school, is a D1 receiver. Odds that he just drops the football when no one touches him are incredibly low. In this game, unlucky that there were, I think I counted five times that there was an open touchdown that TJ threw in the direction of, and he just missed it. That's not coaching, you know? I mean, he can only throw the guys out there who are out there. Um, And there were other – I mean, Tank trying to get out of bounds in the Iron Bowl, fighting like heck to get to the ground and just barely gets his butt out of bounds, you know? 99 – I mean, it's just he's had the most unlucky – he never had the ball bounce his way that Anders tears his ACL on an onside kick, like – are you kidding me? What are the odds that that happens? Like everything that's happened, I feel like every loss there's been some time where it's just like, "Oh my gosh, how did you fumble that?" or "Oh my goodness, how did you miss that pass?" Like just unlucky, tear your hair out because every risk that the guy's taken is there. Like it's not like his risk are just getting absolutely blown up. Everybody saw it coming and it was a stupid call. It's like it's there. He's throwing the clipboard like Lane Kiffin and miss. So that's my summary of the Birmingham Bowl. I will say I was quite discouraged after the game, and that's why we had to wait like a week to allow a little bit of perspective to come in because it was a disappointing game. I think that also we were on a family trip, so we weren't able to go to the game. We are at a terrible restaurant. Crappy service and crappy game. It was just crappy. It was a horrible afternoon. But I'm better now.
1: See, and the I feel like the the people on the podcast don't really get to see the side of Wheeler where he is one of the more broken people after most games. I mean, if you take you know the the worst of the fan base and how broken they are after a loss, that's Wheeler. But you know, just as the days go by. Then he's back to the top with everybody, and he's sunshine and roses. Everything's going to be okay. We're going to become a dynasty. So it's very interesting to see. And the Birmingham Bowl was definitely, you saw, I it mean, it truly, point. truly broke the man. But- and I
0: will say this. I will say this, and I, this is my recommendation, because I know a lot of people don't do this. Do not, do not tweet at or comment on players' Instagrams because you're having a crappy day and you had a crappy burger and a crappy waitress that wouldn't bring you your beer while you're watching the game, and then you lose the game, do not go comment on a player's (laughs) thing and be like, you suck, bro. I hate you. I hope you fall off a Haley Center. Stop. People need to stop. This toxic stuff is killing Auburn. You can be broken. I was split in two. I was absolutely crushed that we lost to Houston in the Birmingham Bowl but we cannot be toxic on social media because it is going to make people not want to play here because I was reading the comments after, and I was like, I'm hurt, but these people, there is something going on in their life other than this <laughs> because they are broken outside of this football game. That's a sidebar anyway.
1: Yeah. And just, just to add on that sidebar real quick, I was, the, I, I was a little surprised in how, angry the fan base was after this game when at the end of the day if we had won this game nobody would have cared like how often do you hear people talk about Auburn really beating the brakes off of Memphis in 2015 in the Birmingham Bowl in a team that was better than this Houston team had a big time quarterback that was going to go to the NFL like that was almost a game where it was like that Memphis team wasn't bad and Auburn handled them and nobody talks about it because at the end of the day, it was the Birmingham Bowl and nobody cares. And we lose to a team that was ranked in the top 25 and everyone talks about how embarrassed they are and everything and how angry they are. And I was like, guys, we just had one of the most heartbreaking losses in Auburn history, losing the Iron Bowl in four overtimes with a quarterback that was on one leg. I mean, that was, that was a heartbreaking game. I was sad. I was genuinely sad sitting in that stadium. And I knew it was coming. As soon as we went to overtime, I knew we were going to lose. And it just slowly was just a dagger that just moved around my heart until it finally just pierced it. When John Mechie scored that touchdown. And I was just like, I don't know how people can just go so quickly from that to getting broken about a Birmingham bowl in a season where the best case scenario you have, if you win is winning seven games. And, Ending it out in Birmingham, of all places. Like, I, I was, I feel like I was one of the, in one of the better places at the fan base because I truly was just like, I don't care. Like, I, like I wanted to watch Auburn football, and I love watching Auburn football, and I thought it was a fun game in some aspects to see guys that don't play as much and see younger guys. But I was like, guys, at the end of the day, if we had won this game, we would have spent less time talking about it. We would have kind of glossed over. If we had won the game, we would have talked about it, but we would have we, we would have moved on to basketball. We would have moved on to other things that actually matter. Like at the end of the day, the Birmingham Bowl, win or lose, means absolutely nothing. And the momentum, like there's no momentum that can be gained from winning the Birmingham Bowl. Like you you're not gonna you're not gonna get a boost in the next season. Like you're not gonna be in close games next season, you're gonna be like, Man, I'm really glad that we won the Birmingham Bowl and that we can bring back the experience that we had in the Birmingham bowl to win this game. I just don't think that that's I just don't think that that's something that really matters in this game. So, I wasn't super worried about it. Obviously, I was disappointed that we lost, but at the end of the day, it didn't bother me that much. So, my more of a breakdown on the team was if you look at I'm going to start with the offense. TJ Finley, I agreed with. I I thought that he made some good reads, but he just couldn't hit a throw. I mean, he 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 hit some. He hit the one to. He hit that really nice one to. I believe it was either Kobe or Shedrick, where uh, the receiver made a nice catch. It was a nice throw. He made that throw to John Samuel Schenker. He made some good plays, but he also had a lot where you were just like, man, that was that was bad. And, and at so, the end, Kobe
0: had a couple of drops that. Yeah. That were good throws from TJ. So at the end of the game, TJ did have it together, and Kobe was struggling to haul it in on those last couple passes.
1: Yeah, and I also think that it's – if you look at it, you know, people were all losing their minds about the – about Brian Harsin calling the passes and not, you know, not running the ball. Hey, Tank was – I mean, Tank was visibly injured. I mean, you could tell that he wasn't wasn't 100% toward the end of the game. But, like, I'm not going to complain – like I complained against South Carolina when the running back was averaging eight yards a carry and you weren't giving him the ball. But also the plays we were calling weren't there. Like the thing in the Birmingham bowl, the plays were there. Like Kobe was open and TJ made the throw. Kobe just dropped it. And I mean like like Brian Harson can't like you know that's not on him, you know? Like there are some plays where you're like that the play caller didn't put the players in the right position. He knew that these guys would be open. They were open and the throw was there. The catch wasn't there. I don't get mad at that because I'm like, that's on execution. That's not on the coaching, you know? And honestly, in most of our short yardage situations in the Birmingham Bowl, when we ran the ball, the nine guys in the box kind of made the stop because it's difficult to run the ball with that many people in the box. So I didn't really, I didn't really hate the play calling by Harson in this game. Um, But I do think TJ did. While he did make some good throws, if he does not progress, if, if the TJ that we saw in the Birmingham Bowl is the same TJ that we're going to see next August, he will not see the field. He will not see the field. And that's just, I mean, I, I don't think that that's very debatable. And whether—and you know, I personally don't think that Demetrius Davis is going to play because if you look at TJ Finley and you've seen all the struggles he's had this season and D hasn't gotten into the game, I'm just like there's – the only thing that TJ could do worse would be to be turning it over all the time. But it just didn't strike me as if you have a quarterback that is struggling like TJ was and you don't go to the backup, it means that the backup is just not better. I mean, it, it's the kind of thing where it, it reminds me of in 2016 when Sean White was hurt and we had Jeremy Johnson – And when Jeremy Johnson would struggle, we would throw JF3 in and try and get a spark. And then JF3 would play worse than JJ did because we knew he was a worse quarterback. He could just, he was a little bit more gimmicky and could maybe, I mean, the thing with JF3, he was fast and he had an arm. He just wasn't accurate at all. So we would throw a bomb with him because we knew he could get the ball there and it wouldn't work or we were trying to run it with them, and they would just stack the box. So that's kind of the same thing that Demetrius would bring when you look at the comparisons. And I think that the reason that we didn't play was because the reason that Demetrius didn't get in to make a spark was because TJ wasn't turning it over, and he wasn't actively losing the game. He just wasn't actively winning it. So they rode with TJ, and I don't hate the decision. Um, You know, the coaches have seen Demetrius more in practice than we have, so I'm fine with that. I saw a little – I mean, there were some bright spots. I saw – I thought that Malcolm Johnson had a really good game. He was getting open a lot. I think that he could be a guy that we use next year in a more uh, focused role in the offense. I think Landon King, obviously he got open, made the catch on the touchdown that ended up getting called back. I think Landon's a guy that can get involved in the offense. Uh, I was encouraged by how we really just ran the offense through tank, especially in the first half. I think that's I think that's a little bit of a sign of something to come is just kind of giving just making it more of a priority just give the ball to Tank and let him do his thing. I think that's something that we didn't do as much as we should have. And I think that we did it a decent amount in the Birmingham Bowl. So there were some and obviously on the defensive side, you know, you you touched on it a little bit. Some of the younger linebackers, Cam Riley had a good game. Wesley Steiner played his best game in an Auburn uniform, granted they're You know, he didn't have that many good games in the past to compare it to. But the linebackers, a lot of them played decent. Uh, DBs didn't really do a ton super special. Nehemiah Pritchett had a good game. Uh, And it's just kind of like you just look at it and it's just the kind of game where it's like it didn't really matter. We didn't really play that well. I didn't think it was on effort. I think that a lot of the time you look at some of the Gus Malzahn bowl losses and You don't see effort from the only time that you see effort is from the like the guys that are getting in that haven't really played a lot. And you kind of saw that last year when we just benched all of our starting receivers and put all of the backups in and the backups were playing with effort because it was their first real taste of college football and the starters didn't do anything. Well, I felt like our starters were playing. I feel like they were giving their all. I feel like there just weren't as many starters as we needed. And so we were playing a lot of backups because the starters just weren't there. So, I I definitely thought that they gave great effort. I don't think that Harson lost this team at all. Um, And I just, you know, at the end of the day, you know, like, the Iron Bowl hurt us, but, like, imagine playing in that game. Like, that's not easy to just bounce back from. And you're coming into it, and you've got, you know, you're you're looking at some of the big-time players. You see their friends on the team that are going to the NFL and opting out and they're like okay we just lost a nail biter to the best team in the country and we're going to have to turn around and play in the Birmingham bowl when i'm you know my friends are going to the nfl and it's just like and they still they showed up they prepared like they should have they played i mean a lot of them played a good game and it's just something that it was yeah we lost but it was like i was encouraged in the mindset of the team and how they approached the challenge and how they played throughout and i think that Obviously, we've said multiple times we don't believe in moral victories, but that was something that I was encouraged to see. And I think that's probably the thing that I like most about Harson that he has shown us in his first year is that the guys believe in him. You know, like the players like the guy. The players want to play for him. I think this is a good segue into kind of the topic and just to back up the fact that – or the argument that people like him and people are – buying in and are interested in it I mean you got Owen Papo announced today that he's coming back John Samuel Schenker announced that he's coming back Derek Hall Colby Wooden announced that they're coming back Keandre Jones Marquise Burks announced that they're coming back so you've got a lot of guys that were kind of on the fence that are all pretty much all deciding to take that extra year of eligibility and push the NFL draft forward or just kind of prolong their their time in college football so either what are your kind of thoughts about how these guys coming back are going to impact the team. And, you know, it really gives us a a vibe that 2019 had when you had Derrick Brown, Marlon Davidson, uh, Noah Igbenogany, you know, a lot of those guys uh, and a lot of the offensive linemen as well deciding to come back for one last ride in 2019. And it just kind of created just an atmosphere around the team in 2019 that just felt like they were there for a bigger purpose than what we saw in 2018 and following in 2020. So do you think that we'll be able to replicate that kind of feeling around the, the locker room and all that? And how do you think that these guys coming back will impact Auburn next season? How do you think it'll affect their potential draft stock in the 2022 NFL draft? So we haven't had
0: really a single player that I can think of that's decided to come back to school who's fallen. In the NFL draft boards, every single guy that's come back to Auburn has either stayed the same, which is really not much of what I'm thinking of, but mostly they have gone up in the draft boards. And I think that that's really something to point to. I mean, you pointed out that 2019 team, Derek Brown was going to be late first round, maybe second round guy, ends up going top five. Uh, Marlon, again, he moved up the draft board uh Noah Igbenogany was nowhere near being a first round draft selection before he came back that season he was able to move up the draft board even off of this team you see roger mccreary second to third round draft pick is probably going to be a first rounder this year uh so it's been very successful for auburn players who have decided to return to auburn uh for that last season people are saying that owen papo had a second to third round grade some teams m- said maybe a first round um but he wanted, I think he realizes that with his athleticism that he's going to be able to show at the combine, if he can put a year of really good tape out there, um, that he's going to be a surefire first round pick. And we've discussed on the podcast before kind of what the difference is monetarily uh, of being a first round pick versus being a third round pick. So that's really big for Auburn. And I think it's big for Owen. Um, And like you said, so it was big in the 2019 team that those guys came back, and they had the potential. I mean, you look back, if they're able to pull off that LSU game who nobody else was close to beating that year other than Alabama, um, and honestly, I thought Auburn was closer to beating them than Alabama was, and we did it down at their place. Those are the kind of games that you have a chance in when you bring back all of these veteran guys. No one's going to scare these guys. They've seen it all. Uh, They're going to be ready to play for every game. So I think that's the element that will bring it back. The thing that happened in 2019 that really killed Auburn was having a freshman quarterback and a not very good offensive line. uh, And really a not very good running back. So this year, the running back situation is solved. The quarterback situation seems very similar. You have... A big-time freshman coming in. You have better backups than you did Bo Nix's freshman year. Um, Joey Gatewood, obviously, has played at three different schools, has gone down a level each time, and has still failed to do anything more than come in and run a Wildcat on a third and two. Uh, he was not a very good quarterback. T.J. Finley started a few games at LSU, had to come in, play for Auburn. Never won anything at Auburn. Didn't really win much at LSU competent person though so he's better than Joey Gatewood by far um so there will be a little bit more competition than what Bo Nix faced but I I really think the transfer portal quarterback is where we're gonna have to go if you want this season to be the season that Auburn makes a run at a sugar bowl a playoff um Anywhere in kind of where Auburn expects a good season to end, you're going to need a new quarterback, I think. I don't think that any of the guys who are on campus now or who are currently committed, signed, anything are going to get us there this year. Now, could Holden turn into a quarterback that's able to do that in the future? Absolutely. Is it possible that I'm wrong and that Holden is just an absolute dog that was semi-underrated and he's going to be like, you know, some other freshman that comes in and has a great year, that is possible. But we don't see that many freshman quarterbacks that just come in and are awesome. I mean, Tua for Alabama had a year behind Jalen. Bryce Young had a year behind Mac Jones. A lot of these freshman quarterbacks that come in are – sitting behind somebody before they're really good. Justin Fields was able to transfer to Ohio State. He sat behind Jake Fromm. Like, a lot of the guys that are freshman quarterbacks that are starting and tearing it up are guys that are redshirt freshmen. Even Tim Tebow. I mean, that's a little bit of a throwback at this point, but he didn't come in as a freshman quarterback and just set the world on fire. He came in on specialty situations and then was able to learn a little bit and get better. That's why I just it's really difficult to see Auburn getting a true freshman quarterback to come in and execute the offense when, in all reality, the offensive line and receivers are not going to be elite talents. They may be good enough with an elite quarterback, almost like a uh, Cam Newton situation. I'm not saying that the next person that comes in has to be Cam Newton. But that team had average, good enough, talent at the o line and the receivers to go win football games and if you had a superstar that could go back and do some special things for you then you could win more and go to a national championship potentially if Auburn wants to go to a sugar Bowl slash playoff next year they're going to have to have a quarterback that comes in that's special we're not going to be able to have with this roster currently i don't think a game manager um, the defense is going to be much improved but i, I think you're going to need a special talent so now is the time I'm pulling out my crack pipe now where we talk about the rumor that would change Auburn forever. I thought I was going to get Noble got a sound little sound machine soundboard for Christmas and it has a, a boo, a clap. It has all kinds of sound,
1: sound effects. And Oh, what was that? <laughs> This is the boo. So this is uh, this is the soundboard booing Wheeler uh, for smoking crack on the podcast.
0: The boo didn't come through to me. I just heard a ah. <laughs> anyway, Caleb Williams. Is it possible? Potentially, is it likely? No, it's not likely. I don't think this is actually going to happen. But the reason that people are all message boards are for people like me who want to believe, even if it's for three days, that Auburn could land this really talented, Heisman-quality quarterback. So where is the rumor coming from? All right, let's take a journey. Back to New Year's Eve. Rumors first start surfacing that Caleb Williams grew up going to Russell Wilson's football camps. Was very successful at these football camps and became friends with Russell Wilson. You might remember Russell Wilson back in his prime, graduated from NC State, transfer, couldn't decide between Auburn and Wisconsin for a long time, finally decides on Wisconsin. Again, that would have been huge if Auburn could have gotten him. So Russ likes Auburn, liked him enough that he considered coming here. Austin Davis, Auburn's new offensive coordinator played with Russell, was his quarterback's coach, very close with him. The rumor is that Austin and Caleb Williams, Oklahoma's quarterback, are very chummy and that potentially Caleb would want to come to Auburn and play for Austin Davis. All right, now that is a somewhat plausible rumor that also seems a little bit far-fetched. It was mentioned by Oklahoma's 24 seven writer. Okay. So, I mean, like I said, is it likely Hmm, not really, but it's pretty plausible. Now today, this is the stuff that I live for. This is what I absolutely love about the off season of college football is the ridiculousness of this rumor that is 0% true. I don't think, I mean, heck maybe it could be, it just doesn't make any sense. So here's the juicy rumor from Reddit right now. We've got Caleb Williams dentist. Now, here's where I get confused. This dentist, quote unquote, is a crypto expert on Reddit typically, but just decided to drop something in a college football Reddit. This sounds like a troll to me. Anyway, he says apparently from his practices you know website that he is a dentist in Dallas Texas now why would Caleb Williams who lives in Norman Oklahoma and is from Washington DC have a dentist in Dallas great question that i don't know the answer to and that is my first reason for thinking that this is ridiculous other than the fact that it's just crazy anyway so mr crypto dentistry over here in Dallas has decided that he put Caleb Williams on laughing gas. And when Caleb was high on his laughing gas, he told him that Auburn was offering him a big time NIL deal and that he was waiting to see if Oklahoma would counter offer that. Now, is that not just the best story that you've ever heard? Um Yeah, no. I don't think that that happened. But hey, that's where we are right now. Also, it's floating around Twitter that Georgia offered Caleb $2 million in NIL deals. Caleb's dad, who has like 400 followers on Twitter, I thought he'd have more than that. Um, It's like King's dad, 825 or something like that, tweeted, this is absolutely false to me. That's not confirmation that it's false. That's confirmation that he doesn't want to be banned from the NCAA for negotiating an NIL deal with the university while he's not in the transfer portal, which is all highly illegal. But, heck, we know that if this guy's being recruited, it's being illegal. It's just like Cam Newton. If you still think that Auburn didn't pay Cam Newton, God bless you. I have some land by the beach to sell you, okay? It is prime property. Just wire the money over to my account, all right? So, yeah, Caleb Williams, potentially to Auburn, potentially to Georgia. Either way, he's about to get that bag, or if he stays in Oklahoma, but the bag man is going somewhere. Caleb's on vacation. I hope that Tim Cook, is dropping apples out of a bomber onto his resort to show how many Apple products he could endorse and how many millions of dollars he could make. Or maybe Jimmy Rain is redecking the vacation spot to show how much money Yellowwood makes and how much NIL deal Caleb could get if he dressed up in a yellow suit and talked about pressure treated pine. I don't care how the man gets his millions. I want him to play for Auburn.
1: I don't think he will, though. First of all, I think that the, uh, I think that Jimmy Rain having uh, Caleb Williams talk about pressure treated pine is much more likely than Tim Cook uh, endorsing the guy because uh, I don't think Tim Cook really cares at all about football. Um, I did think that the funniest part of the story was trying to get people to believe that Caleb Williams drives three hours to <laughs> and from. So it's a six hour <laughs> round trip for a dentist appointment. We missed a more yeah, that's nowhere close to his hometown for a dentist. I mean, a dentist that is a dentist and an ex- expert on cryptocurrency, I mean, <laughs> that sounds like a strange – I mean, that's just weird. I mean, th- those things don't really go hand in hand. I mean, that's that's just kind of a little far-fetched. I didn't think that that was super accurate. But I did say – I sent it to Weaver, and I said, this is – I think my, my exact text – I sent it to him as soon as I saw it. And I said, this is the most Auburn post I've ever seen on an Auburn message board. Because you see it. I mean, every time, I mean, you know, so I know that some people that listen to this podcast are not on those message boards. But for the people that are, you will see every single time that there is any kind of coaching search or any kind of heat on the head coach, you always see, oh, Bob Stoops' wife and Urban Meyer's wife were spotted looking for a house in Auburn. And it's just all this crazy stuff. And you're like, oh, their second cousin's uncle's dog groomers friend is really tight with Urban and really knows Auburn football and is really pumping that they're gonna that they're gonna make the hire. And guys, at the end of the day, none of it's real. None of it's real. If we land Caleb Williams, I will be elated. I'll be super happy. It's not gonna happen. And if it does, it's if it does, that this story is not true. Like, that's the thing. Like, if it's true, it's not because of the crypto dentist that is putting him under laughing gas and figuring everything out. I mean, it's just like, that's just not happening. Caleb Williams is not driving six hours for the dentist. He's just not. And that's just, this guy, I mean, the, the, the angle that Caleb Williams is friends with Russ and is tight with Austin Davis, that's something that you can kind of, you can kind of believe more so, and you're like, okay, that, that is a logical reason as to why he would come to Auburn. That, that, okay, it's like, that makes sense. Like, I don't think it'll happen, but you could tell me that, and I wouldn't say, dude, no. And so I, I definitely think – I don't think Caleb Williams will come to Auburn. I think that the transfer that we land will be someone that is a little bit more low-key and not nearly as talented as Caleb. That's just what I believe. Uh, I have a different opinion than Wheeler does on the, uh, the game manager stance. I think, that that's, I think that we can win games with a game manager. And a hill that I will die on that I – this is not something that I think is a super mainstream opinion, but for those that didn't follow Auburn recruiting super well, Auburn came in second in the recruitment of Kelly Bryant when he entered the transfer portal and transferred from Clemson to Missouri – In 2019, and he didn't really do anything at Missouri. But I think that if we had, I think that if Kelly Bryant had come to Auburn, we would have made the playoffs in 2019. And I don't think it would have necessarily been because Kelly would have been some kind of superstar and would have, you know, won awards and led us to the playoffs. I just think he would have made less mistakes than Bo, and I think that those less mistakes would have won a certain games. And the thing, the thing that I didn't like about Bo is that he came in. And we really – we wanted him we, – we relied on him to win a lot of games that we didn't rely on the running game. And I think the reason that we didn't rely on the running game is because Booby Whitlow was not good. And so we couldn't really put the offense on his shoulders because he wasn't good enough to hold it. Tank Bigsby is good enough to hold it. You can win games with Tank Bigsby when your quarterback doesn't do a ton. The thing is with Bo Nix, his first game – he throws 31 passes, second game, throws 37, and then he throws 16 against Kent State, 20 against Texas A&M. That Texas A&M game was really what Auburn needed to prioritize. We ran the ball a lot. Bo was 12 of 20 for 100 yards and one touchdown, zero picks, and had 12 carries for 38 yards. That game, that is what Bo Nix should have been his freshman year instead of the gunslinger that we tried to make him out to be against Georgia when he threw 50 passes or against Mississippi, or against Ole Miss when he threw 44 or Louisiana State when he threw 35. It's just like we tried to make Bo Nix our guy and just kind of like he's the focal point of the offense because he was talented out of high school, but the thing was that's not what we needed. We had an elite defense, and we if we had prioritized the running game, we could have won some games that we didn't win. You know, that Florida game when he throws three picks and is honestly the reason we lost. You know, that's tough. But I think that in twenty in this next season, in 2022, the defense won't be as good as 2019. But I think it'll be one of the better defenses in the SEC. I think that the running game is much better. The offensive line, as of right now, is not as good as it was in 2019, which is kind of scary because that 2019 offensive line wasn't that special. Uh, and the receivers, I would probably give a slight advantage to 2019. But you look at it and you're just like, I think that if we have a game manager type quarterback that is above that above average quarterback, like I'm not saying bring in some guy who just is like an Iowa quarterback that can't do anything, that if he has to throw 20 passes a game is going to throw five picks, like not that kind of guy. But I'm saying that someone that can not lose games, if you have a guy that can make the throws that he needs to make. You look at – I think that a really common one for me is if you look at Jake Fromm in 2017, when Jacob Eason got hurt and Jake Fromm comes in, he didn't really do anything special. Like, he hit the throws he was supposed to hit, and he really didn't hit the throws he wasn't supposed to hit. Didn't take a ton of stacks, didn't turn it over a ton, but they had an elite defense, they had a great offensive line, they had great running backs, they had decent receivers, and they ended up making the national championship because Jake Fromm didn't lose games. Jake Fromm, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't remember every Georgia game from that, that season, but there was not a game against a good team where Jake Fromm won them the game. He just didn't have a single game where he lost it for them. And I think that's the thing that Auburn needs to do with how our roster is built. You can either throw in Demetrius Davis, who has never taken a college snap. You can throw in Holton. You can throw in TJ, who – I mean, maybe TJ will take some great strides with Austin Davis, but the TJ that we have seen so far, you can throw him in there or you can throw a transfer in there. And if we ignore the transfer aspect for right now, if we have any quarterback on the roster right now that is forced to throw over 35 passes in four or more games next season, we will not win. Like, we will not find great success because none of the quarterbacks are going to be built to throw the ball 35, 40, 50 times a game where they are right now. And that's, that's, just, that's just the fact of the matter. Now, maybe a junior senior year Holden or Demetrius, maybe that can be a guy that you can lean on and be a guy to carry your offense. But in their first year starting, they're not going to be like that. And that's okay because you have a junior Tank Bigsby who can run the ball. And you have Jarquez Hunter behind them who can run the ball. If we can prioritize the run game, and be able to move the ball and be able to score points, running the ball and just not turn it over with our quarterback. I think we can be fine cuz I don't think our defense is going to be allowing that many points. So I don't think our offense necessarily has to be revolutionary in the run game like it was in 2013. Like in a lot of games if we can just score a decent amount of points, the defense will be able to hold a lot of the teams in the SEC. And honestly, with how our defensive defenses have played against Alabama in recent years, I think we'll be okay. I think we'll be okay in that game. So I just think that – I personally think that a game manager quarterback who is an above-average quarterback who just doesn't do things to lose you the game is all we need for 2022. And I don't think it'll – I don't think we'll go to the playoffs even if we have a game manager that doesn't lose us games. But I think we can win nine to ten games, and I think it's a very realistic expectation, whereas, you know, obviously six and seven doesn't feel good. But if you can get a top 13 recruiting class, even with this six and seven year, you can bounce back from this and go and win nine or ten games. Then you can point to something, and you can point that the program is on an upward trajectory, and you can bring in more guys that can get you to the playoffs eventually. And so I think that that's kind of the focus – and I know Auburn fans don't want to hear that, but it's not a super realistic expectation to make the playoffs with the state of the program right now. And I'm not going to be smoking the crack like Weather is. Weathers is. Weaver's going to think we're going to make the playoffs as soon as the next season starts, whether he does it right now or not. When he starts seeing us win some games, if we beat Penn State and Missouri at home, we're looking at 4-0 and going into the season. He's going to be smoking it. And a lot of people in the fan base are going to be smoking it. My thing is, I think that if we can win 10 games next season, it'll be a crucial stepping stone for the Brian Harson era, and it'll establish him with our fans and with the recruits and just kind of establish him as a solid hire and a solid coach in the SEC. And I think that's more so my goal for next season, whereas a lot of other people obviously are looking just kind of to skip some of the steps and go straight to the playoffs. But the thing is, that's just not – It's just not a normal thing. You know, it's it's rare for Gene Chizik to win a national championship his second year. Like, that's not normal. It's not normal for Gus Malzahn to go to a national championship his first year. Like, most schools have to build a program with their coach. So I think that that is what Auburn is experiencing right now. And I think that having a really solid season next season will push us in the right direction for sustained success and not the, you know, up, up and down, go, 8-4, and 7-5, 10, and just go all over the place. If we can establish ourselves as more consistent, you know, top two in the West kind of place, I think that that would be uh, very advantageous for the program. But that's my opinion. We either want you to take it away.
0: No, I agree. I think Sugar Bowl 10-win season is a high but fair expectation for next year. I mean, you look at who played in the Sugar Bowl last night. Dave Veranda's Baylor team had two wins last year. Uh, Ole Miss, what'd they have, like three or four wins last year? I mean, they didn't have a great year last year. Um, so it's definitely possible. I mean, Michigan. Michigan had two wins last year. Now, I know that last year was COVID and all those things, but still, that's a five- to six-win team in normal times. If you were a two-win team in the conference-only portion – And the wheels kind of fell off. That's the equivalent of going six and six. So it is entirely possible to go from having a six and six season like we just had, six and seven, sorry. But really, I mean, people talk about regular season records to going to a Sugar Bowl, to going to a New Year's Six type thing. And it's like you said, I mean, if you can bring in a class like they brought in this year, going to the Birmingham Bowl. That it's a whole lot easier to do that when you go to the Sugar Bowl or another New Year Six Bowl the next year. What can't happen, and I think it'd be really hard to pitch a good recruiting class, is if you go six and six again next year. If you go six and six next year and you do the same thing where you unravel as the season goes on, or you have leads in all the games going into the fourth quarter except for one, it's going to be tough. Because then people are going to start to think you can't close. You can't close the deal. Seat's going to get really hot. Um, I don't think a 6-6 six and six season gets Harson and fired next year. They really don't. Um, especially if it unfolds the same way this season unfolded, where you're competitive in every single game. But I think he needs to have improvement. And I think he will. I mean, he did a great job, I thought, recruiting getting the team ready to go he did a lot of things that coaching wise are difficult things to do and it was his first season at this level of football I mean even the small things like how big the recruiting staff is like they realized halfway through the season everybody that we're competing against has a bigger recruiting staff and we mentioned this before we don't know if that was a Gus problem or if a Horson problem that he just didn't know and so he didn't hire They're bulking up the recruiting staff. They're going to have the new football-only facility. We're in a position right now where Auburn football can really take the next step forward where the administration has given the commitment. to I mean, they gave the commitment of the football-only facility. They gave the commitment of, hey, you want to fire your receivers coach in the middle of the year, and we're still paying buyouts from the last staff. That's fine. $2 million buyout. You want to fire your offensive coordinator after the first season? Fine. Fire him. That's like 5 or $6 million. I mean, they're throwing out, they're dishing out the money for the guy to be successful. They're not doing anything to hold him back. It doesn't seem. Um, I don't know what else really money you could do. Uh, People complain about the NIL deals, but that, I mean, you don't know what other NIL deals people have. You know, I mean, Bryce Young is a whole lot more marketable than Bo Nix was. People didn't love Bo Nix. So it's hard to go and push oh man yeah we've got a great nil department because we got bo nicks the same thing as bryce young well everybody loves bryce young he's a heisman trophy winning quarterback it's easy to find a million dollars for him quarterback that yells at his teammates and eventually transfers out of the school it's it's going to be hard to find people better than milos you know i mean
1: yeah and to build on that Yeah, I mean, to build on that, you've got, I mean, like Tank Bigsby, who's the best player on the team. It's like, well, you've had rumors going around that he's going to transfer after year one and after year two. So it's like he's not super marketable, and there just aren't a ton of football players uh, that are super marketable. I mean, you got guys like Owen and guys like Kobe Wooden. and that, It's like guys that people like, but it's like at the end of the day, like you don't have a Bryce Young. You don't have a, a guy who is just ultra everyone likes and you know he's going to be really good where and that he's in a position where he can you know be seen you know as a quarterback you can be seen no matter what Like everyone knows who Bryce Young is if you're a college football fan and so yeah I was just wanted to just add my my two cents onto that
0: yeah so I, I don't think that that's the fault of Parson or his team being able to find NIL deals or even Auburn donors not coming up to the point I mean at the end of the day, they're businesses, and so if the if it's not going to move the needle for them, they're not going to do it. The reason they're able to do it at Ohio State, Alabama, and all this is they're very recognizable people. They're very marketable. They're very easy to to make an ad for. There's a, I mean, NFL guys. They're not all marketable. If you come to a brand new city and you're a you know guy that may or may not get cut from training camp, you know, I mean, unless you do something. I mean, what was the guy a couple of years ago that got like the toilet paper endorsement for doing something goofy? You know, I mean, yeah, you have to have a, you have to have some level of marketability, which is why when the rumor goes around, now obviously the dentist we made fun of, the rumor goes around about a guy like Caleb Williams potentially coming to Auburn, and they're saying he may have a million dollar NIL deal. Okay, I can see that because this guy, you know, he's going to be at Auburn for two more years because he's not going to be able to transfer freely. Well, you don't know, but I think it is a safe bet to say he'll be here for two years. Okay, so you're guaranteed two years with the guy. The guy is early projected to win the Heisman Trophy. Okay, so he's going to be on a national stage, just like Bryce Young. It's a very similar dynamic to Bryce Young, and that's where I can see companies coming together and saying, okay, this is somebody that we can invest money in, and it helps our company, and it helps the university. But these guys that run these businesses are not just here to pay for Auburn football players. You know, I mean, the NIL deals are actual advertisements to help their company out. And I don't know, is it a rule? I've gotten conflicting messages. I'm not sure if it's a rule that a booster can, like, like could Yellowwood do an ad? I don't know that you could. I think you have to be unaffiliated with the university. But that's getting down into the weeds. Either way, we just don't have a guy that's super marketable right now. Because, I mean, even like you said, Owen Papo. Yeah, Auburn people know who Owen is. It's like, you know, I mean, that's why people like Milo's and Guthrie's, you know, people that live around this part of the country know who Owen Papo is. You're not going to go sign a deal with a big national company where everybody's like, ooh, Owen Papo. Who's that? (laughs) You know? So. I don't know that I think that the administration and people hate on Auburn for not being all on board all the time and that may be somewhat the case but from the outside looking in it looks like he's had a pretty pretty loose chain and freedom of movement to do everything that he needs to do to win football games at Auburn
1: yeah I totally agree I think that it is a I think that this—I mean—they're behind him. Whether the guy, whether the, the whether the boosters like him or not, that's definitely debatable. But they're letting him do his thing. Like people, you know, everyone was saying, "Oh, they didn't Gus run his program." All the rumors were going out that the reason it was took so long to get a coach was because the boosters weren't going to let him run their own stuff. Like, no, like they're letting him do his thing. Like the 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 hires that Harson has made—they're his hires. Like, promoting Keesaw to OC and just looking at all of the Boise that is in this coaching staff, like, these are Harson's guys. They're letting Harson run the program the way he wants to run it, which is how you should do it. And so I definitely – I'm not really concerned about that aspect of it because I think they're going to let him do his thing. And so whether it works or not, we'll see. But if it doesn't work, you're not really going to blame the university and the – You know, administration for not being more involved in the the coaching staff and all that. Like, you got to let the head coach run his program. So, I definitely think that this is, you know, like you said, it's definitely kind of, I don't want to say make or break, because I think that if he has a six and six or a seven and six, seven and five, you know, kind of season next season, I think that you look to recruiting. And if he has a top 15 recruiting class again, it's like, okay, you give him another year. But the thing is, like Dan Mullen, he had a terrible record. He had a terrible recruiting class. Team gave up. They said, all right, you're done. They fired him. He made the SEC championship last year and played Alabama their best game of the season. Like, he, he led his team to a pretty good result in 2020 and has a bad year in 2021, bad recruiting. He's gone. The thing is, the reason that people are still – the reason that a lot of people like Carson is because he has a good recruiting class. So, like, at the end of the day, recruiting matters. If you're looking at perception of the program, recruiting matters arguably more than wins and losses. Because at the end of the day, if you make a bowl and you have a good recruiting class, you're probably not going to get fired. Because if you have a good recruiting class coming in and it's still early in your tenure, like, you're going to stay. Like, if if, if, if Harson has top 13 recruiting classes for three straight years, As long as he doesn't win six or seven games in all three of those years, he'll still stay. As long as he has a non-win season somewhere in his first three years and he has a good recruiting class all three, he's staying no matter what. And so I think that that is definitely something that, you know, obviously recruiting had a good kind of like a good little jolt uh, for the 2023 class yesterday with four star offensive lineman Braden Joyner committing to the program. That's a big I mean that's a big sign. That's a sign that you look back and you're like that that really helps the class top 300 player. So if he can keep, you know, he's in this cycle, you know, 2022 he came in late because of when he was hired. 2023 he's kind of on track and he's starting to land guys before their senior year even starts. He's starting to build the 23 class and it'll build even more as, you know, time goes on. This could be even, you know, this 23 class could be better than 22 because he's actually recruiting. Like 23 is kind of the class that we can really look at to judge their recruiting because 2022, they came in on everybody late and they did a great job getting where they were. But a lot of those guys that they missed out on, you're like, could they have gotten him? Could they have landed the deal with that guy? If they had came in a little earlier and they had been involved earlier and they didn't have that luxury because they were at a different school when those guys were, you know, getting their first contact by Alabama and Georgia and LSU and all that. So I definitely think that 23 is more of the class to look at when you want to judge how well they can recruit, and so I think we'll see uh, we'll see how that works. But obviously, you know I I would like results in in 2022. But so I, my, I'm still kind of the jury's still out on Brian Harson and his staff. I think that he bought some time. I think he bought another season to be have the cautious optimism, but also the cautious skepticism of how he will lead this program. But I'm excited to see where he takes us for sure.
0: Yeah. And I mean, players who graduate, you know, and talk well about the program, and former players coming back and saying that they believe in him, and parents of players and parents of recruits all talking about it heading in the right direction. That's who I care about. You know, if you're not hearing anything from those people and you have all the people on Twitter and message boards saying that they don't like him. That's when the steam starts picking up when the people who are involved in the program and know what's going on and are there and aren't just sitting there seeing what the result is, wins and losses are still on board. That's a good sign, you know, and for an early situation such as this.
1: Totally agree. Um, But I feel like that kind of wraps up our football discussion for uh, this week's podcast. Uh, we can move on a little bit into the basketball corner of the podcast, and just obviously, we you know Auburn played LSU in Auburn Arena this past week and won seventy to fifty five. Really fun game, great environment. Weir, what were your thoughts building up to that game? Kind of the anticipation that was coming with you know starting with Will Wade's comments about how crazy Auburn Arena is going in to how we started, how we kind of leveled out and then how we finished just kind of walk us through what you were uh what you were thinking throughout that game. I thought it was really interesting that Will Wade would say that publicly
0: ahead of a game because whenever you say something like that and you acknowledge that a crowd is going to get in your head is going to be you know raucous going to be hanging from the rafters I think is what he said then you're almost like you're almost building it up so that the crowd is going to be hype. Like, they know now that they're in your head and they're going to do stuff to stay in your head. Um, And I thought that that really happened during the game. You saw that starting at, I mean, just from the beginning of the game, crowd was absolutely packed out. Students were there early. It was still the holiday bleacher. So it was still a mix of older people and students. But I felt like the older people that were there were not there to sit on their hands. They were there to really get excited, have a fun time. So all of that happens, and just like Will Wade said, I mean, people were hanging from the rafters. It was absolutely insane during the game, and I think that that helped that early run when it was – I think it was like, I don't know, 18-1. to 1. Uh, That was a really strong start, and I really – I somewhat credit that to Will Wade. I don't think he should have said that publicly, I think that it just juices the crowd way too much. I think you under I think you can say it to your team because when you say it to your team, you're actually saying it to get them prepared. When you say it publicly, all you're doing is just juicing the crowd because they they are coming in like, oh yes, we are going to absolutely change this game And they did, I thought. Um, and then it's always funny. I feel like LSU gets into a fight with the students every year when they're leaving the court. Um, I may or may not have had an incident with one of their coaches. And I'm just happy to see that the tradition uh, lives on. Still
1: hate that bald guy. Yeah, I just feel like LSU really more than anyone else, they just, they fight back, you know? It's not even the players. It's their
0: coaches. And it's not even like Will Wade himself. It's like the random assistant who you're like, who are you? Anyway, it's always hilarious to me. Do they want to yell back? I'm like. I'm just having fun. Like, I don't actually like despise you I, when I pull my keys out and I'm shaking my keys at you. Like, I'm just being funny. I'm not, I'm not saying anything about your mom or your wife or your kids. Like I'm telling you, go home to Baton Rouge. Cause you lost the basketball game. Like it's different. Yeah.
1: And it's almost like you see, you've seen other fans, like other teams that have gotten worse that have handled it so much better. Like, Tennessee like I think it was like when that student told Santiago Viscovi that he should go back to Uruguay and he ended up getting banned from the arena and I don't I don't even think I think Rick Barnes commented on it and gave a you know coach's answer gave the a human answer like it was like okay like that he was like that was messed up but he was like you know it it is what it is and he didn't really like fight he didn't really like want to go into the stands and fight the fan that said it you know Alabama they really don't talk that much like the coaches don't really talk back to you as much but it's just kind of like I feel like the players of the other fan bases are a little bit more chippy but LSU is just the coaches are just just angry angry people but I definitely Rick Barnes
0: is still my favorite coach in the SEC other than Bruce Pearl solely because me and my friends used to sit on the rail right by the visitor's locker room so that we could always give the visitor coaches and players everything that they wanted to hear going in and out of the locker room super fun so rick barnes is walking out of the locker room onto the floor while they're doing their warm-up before the game and me and my friend are yelling something at rick about how much his team is terrible and how they're going to get worked and that he should try having a picnic because it worked for bruce man stops and looks at us and just waves to us and is like How's it going tonight, guys? And shakes our hand, gets to know us. And I was like, I love you. I literally love you. <laughs> and so the rest of the night, I couldn't yell at Rick. I couldn't yell at him. Well, I did comment that his hair was kind of falling out after he left the court. But I still love the guy because it was fun to him. Like, he wasn't taking it personally. Like, he was just realizing that it, it was a fun crowd being a fun environment. And I think, honestly, Will Wade, trash trash ethics as far as playing basketball at the end of the day all these people want to say will wade's a terrible person he pays players to come play basketball every basketball coach in america plays guys to come and play basketball every football coach does he's not a terrible person he got caught cheating he's an awesome person for getting caught cheating and not bowing to the ncaa at all and still doing it and you know what i think will wade low-key loves auburn I think he loves getting yelled at. I think he loves his team getting fired up. I think it's a fun thing for him. Unpopular opinion. I think it's hilarious that Will Wade's still the coach at LSU. I think that other fan bases get so fired up that Will Wade's still the coach at LSU because their team can't beat him. But Auburn can.
1: Like a drum. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I agree. I think that, you know, Will Wade is the kind of guy where it's like, I think that he really likes Auburn in the sense that he likes that He likes that the arena is going to get juiced up. He likes that his players are going to be able to play in a crazy atmosphere. It's good. Like, it's good. Like, you want to play in those atmospheres. That way, when you play in other crazy atmospheres, you've played in it before and you know how to handle it. So I think Will Wade does like Auburn in that sense. And, you know, like you said, like, yeah, everyone pays their players. And, you know, Will Wade is just not even good at hiding it. He's just good at not getting punished immediately for it. So I I don't know. It doesn't bother me. You know, like I feel like a lot of other schools, it bothers them, that Will Wade is still the coach. And it's like, I, it doesn't really bother me because I feel like in the big time moments when Auburn and LSU are both, it's a big game between the two schools. I think Auburn usually wins those games. So it doesn't really bother me. It's kind of the same thing with Rick Barnes, you know, like they don't beat us. So I'm not, I don't hate the guy because I'm like, okay, I can actually look at, and I don't like Tennessee, but I'm like, I can look at Rick Barnes and be like, okay, like, I like the things you do when you don't play Auburn. You haven't done anything against Auburn that has made me mad. And at the end of the day, in the past few years, we've absolutely owned them. So, you know, it's not really a thing where you just hate the guy. Now, Nate Oates, I cannot stand. Cannot stand Nate Oates. He is my least favorite coach in sports, truly. I, I dislike Nate Oates more than I dislike Kirby Smart. And that is saying something, because I really, really dislike Kirby Smart. Um, And both of them hate Auburn just as much as we hate them. So it all works out. But kind of moving on to the actual basketball discussion. uh, Obviously, Devin Cambridge got COVID the day of the game. Alan Flanagan gets thrust into the starting lineup earlier than we expected. Plays 29 minutes, has 10 points, 6 rebounds on 50% shooting. Weaver, how do you think that Alan Flanagan coming back into the starting lineup for what you would expect to be from here on out? if he stays healthy you would expect that once he gets the 29 minutes in and plays a whole game you think that he's going to be the guy for the rest of the season do you think that how do you think this will transform the team and how do you think it immediately made a difference against LSU
0: I think Allen coming back did not affect the defense very much I did think that Allen coming back had Jabari and I don't know if it was Allen coming back and playing a lot of minutes or if Jabari was a little bit tight because he knew that this was a meaningful game. First SEC game, kind of big to get your SEC season. Started on the right foot. I felt like Jabari, he ended up getting his points, but I thought early in that game was the first time that we saw Jabari look a little tight, a little bit nervous, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Um, And it could have just been that Allen was out there and they haven't had a lot of time to practice with each other. And so it wasn't as smooth of an offense as what you see when he wasn't out there but no I thought Allen played very well I think his offense is going to continue to get better I think you know finishing at the rim is going to continue to get better Um, his three-point shot seems to pretty well be there Um, I think that's because that's something he could do even with his Achilles you know he could go to the gym and he could shoot shots like that whereas going and you know having a finger roll up with a couple of defenders around you like you can't do that when you're non-contact. And so finishing around defenders, he has the ability to do it. We've seen him do it. It's just going to take him a little bit of time where he's going to practice and he's got guys, you know, around that ankle and they're swatting at the ball for him to get back into the uh, the routine of finishing at the hoop. Uh, but, yeah, no, I thought he played very well. I thought he played well on defense. I thought, I mean, hot take, I guess. Uh, Walker Kessler played a really good game. but. You know, he just – I don't know. He's gotten a lot better, and I thought that he was going to struggle. When we watched that UConn game, I remember we got on the podcast right after the UConn game, and we were really worried about Walker being able to compete in the SEC because he got bullied so bad by UConn. Now, LSU did not have a very physical big man. At least I didn't think they did. Um, So – that was not going to be the game that he was going to struggle with in the SEC, but it was a more physical game. I thought you could tell that it was a much more physical game than a lot of the games. I thought that St. Louis game was kind of an SEC-type game, and uh, Walker played well in that. So I think he's getting into the grind of a physical game, and he just plays so smart. You know, I mean, when he goes up for the block, I feel like this just about this whole team, has. that's one of their strengths, is they go for blocks, but they're so smart about it like most of the time when they're fouling, they're fouling on purpose. Like they have a low number of fouls. It's a bad free throw shooter. I'm going to hack him and make sure he doesn't get the and one. I feel like it's very rare right now that they're trying to get a clean block and they're just hacking somebody. So I think that's the most impressive thing about the defense has been how they're able to play clean. I mean, relatively clean. They don't, they don't foul that much. Um, Now, That is going to change. I guarantee you. Book it now. When Auburn goes to Coleman Coliseum, Walker Kessler is going to get in foul trouble. One million percent. He can play his cleanest game he's ever played. They are going to have the tightest whistle on him. He is going to get into foul trouble, and they are going to call nothing. I mean, absolutely nothing on Jabari. They are going to be able to mug the man from behind, and they're not going to call anything. Of the games in this next couple stretch, I'm most concerned about the Alabama game solely because I don't think it's going to be a fair game. I don't think it's going to be a fair game at all. I think that if they played at a neutral site, I think Auburn dominates them. When they come to Auburn Arena, I think we're going to run them, especially if they're not having a good night shooting from three. We match up super well against Alabama, but there is no chance, and I mean zero, that they are going to let us play the kind of defense we play up in Coleman Coliseum. Their crowd is going to boo. Every time we get a strip, I, it's going to be ugly. We're going to really struggle. I think we may lose by a good bit when we go up the Coleman Coliseum and our, it'd be our first SEC loss. But all the games coming up, I feel pretty good about, especially this South Carolina game. Obviously, it's tough to go on the road in the SEC, you want to do it over a nine and three team versus an undefeated LSU, like they had to come and play Auburn.
1: Yeah, i I, I definitely agree with what you're saying. South Carolina, they don't really worry me that much. They're not that good. Uh, they're not terrible. Like they, they're a decent basketball team, but it it's the kind of thing that if we have a team that we expect to do great things, like we do, this game should not bother us. It just shouldn't. South Carolina doesn't have a crazy atmosphere. You're going to see a crazier atmosphere multiple times. South Carolina, that should be a win. Florida should be a win at home. Alabama, I think we lose that game, and I do kind of agree with you. I don't think that it will be because we just play bad. Um, You know, Alabama, they play a lot better in Coleman. We match up well, but I think it's going to be interesting because, you know, Alabama's got Noah Gurley at the four, and he's a guy that can really go off for them. He's a guy that can really be kind of a sleeper for their offense. Having Jabari on him, I, I'm not super worried about him going off. You know, you saw Darius Days playing against Auburn, and he didn't really do a ton with Jabari on him. I'm not super worried about Noah Gurley going off. I'm thinking that, you know, you've got Quinterly and Shackelford. They're their main guys. Shackelford's our main guy. I think we yeah, have KD on him. I think we'll be okay. I think KD is one of the best defenders in the SEC. If he can get consistent steals on Shackelford, I think we'll be fine. Uh, I, I think we match up well against them, and I don't necessarily think that losing at Coleman is going to be a big detriment to the season. I think that the biggest game is going to be Kentucky at home. If we can win that game or look good in that game, I think we'll be fine. You know, I, I think we'll be okay for the rest of the season. I think that Kentucky will be the best team we play until March. And so – I feel like the, the Alabama game, obviously you, you want to win it, but I don't think that it really shows you as much about your team and how good your team is like that Kentucky game does. Because I just don't think Alabama's is good this year. Like, I, I don't think they have real – like, last year they had real national championship hopes, but it was like – you know, I don't think they would have beaten a Baylor or Gonzaga, but it's like they could have made the Final Four. But this Alabama team can't. This Alabama team is not good enough to make the Final Four. I don't even think this Alabama team – I think they might be able to sneak into the Sweet 16, but I don't think they make it past that. And so I I definitely think that the Kentucky game will be the one to watch. But just watching us against LSU, I was really encouraged by how we played and how we handled them so dominantly when Jabari had his worst game of the year. I mean, Jabari was five twelve for two and eight from three. I agree with what you said. I think that he was rattled. I think that he was just nervous about playing against LSU, and it was just... You know, going up against a guy like Darius Days, I don't think it was an easy matchup for him, and I think it'll be. I think that we really need him to bounce back against South Carolina and Florida with a better shooting percentage, especially because that's kind of what he's been struggling with the past few games. But if he can shore that up, I think we'll be okay for conference play. Um, Alan Flanagan coming in was. I think that we'll be able to see the best of Alan Flanagan that we've ever seen this year, and I think that especially at him playing his natural position, you know, playing the three, being a wing. You didn't really get to see that last year. And even when he did, you know, like when Sharif came in and was the established point guard and Allen moved to the three, he wasn't as good as he could have been because he was kind of he felt like he was out of position because he had been playing point guard the whole season. He had been playing a weird position and he hadn't really been playing like a wing usually plays. So I think that we'll be able to see a more normal Alan Flanagan and be able to see how good he really has gotten from year one that we didn't really get to see last year. Um, obviously, the guards were an interesting thing. You saw uh, Wendell Green get a lot more playing time because he had the hot hand. Zeb Jasper only played 18 minutes, was struggling offensively. And I think that that's just – that's something that we've talked about a lot that you'll see a lot that you've got three guards that really play – they have, all have different strengths and that Bruce is going to play whoever has the hot hand. So I really like that, that you don't have to necessarily rely on Zep or KD or Wendell to really get you points. That you, It's like if one of them's off, the other one will play. And if they're all on, all three of them will play. So I'm not super worried about the guard situation, but it was definitely an encouraging win. Uh, just being able to handle a good team like that. Uh, and it was just kind of like you just – we're ready for the next one. And I, I don't think that South Carolina is really going to quench that thirst because I think that if we play like we should, I think we should handle South Carolina. I think we should handle Florida. You know, Alabama is definitely going to be the next one where you're looking to where you get really excited about it. And you're really focused on how we play and you're much more analytical than you are against Florida and South Carolina. So I definitely think it'll be interesting to monitor how this team progresses throughout this week. Uh, and just the rest of the the time in conference play.
0: Yeah, and I think this is a season that is very rare for Auburn. and so it's one that I <clears throat> I don't want to always be looking ahead to where's this team going to be in March? Where's this team, you know how are they going to match up necessarily against teams in a month from now? because I think this is a really good Auburn basketball team and this might be the best Auburn basketball team that we see for a long time they may not have the best run in march you know there may be they may not make the final four and there may be another team that makes the final four this team is a lot better than the team that made the final four regular season wise yeah like if if this team played the final four team at this time of the year this team wins nine out of ten of them i think I mean, the, the Final Four team just wasn't very good at this point in the season. And so this is something you have to enjoy as an Auburn fan because we sit here and we talk about the football team all the time and how we're building a program, you know, we're going to have that season. The thing is, when you finally get to that season, you can't expect that you're going to be like Kentucky is in basketball, like for the basketball team. You can't expect to be like Alabama is in football, where every single season it's going to be that, and you can take things for granted. This is a season where Auburn is good. And I think as a fan, I just needed to take a step back and enjoy the fact that a top 10 team, just or a top 15 team, came to Auburn Arena. Auburn won by 15. And we're talking about how our star player had the worst game of their season.
1: Yeah. You
0: know, I mean, this is a very special team and just a team that I honestly, I'm going to look forward to playing. Every single time they're out on the floor because it's just something you need to enjoy. Because who knows? I mean, we could be landing more five stars, and we, you know, there are five stars that are coming on visits that maybe we could land and we could be really good next year. But this is just a really special team. I feel like they really enjoy playing for each other. They enjoy playing for Auburn. They enjoy the fans. Like, this is going to be a special season and one that you just want to enjoy the moment because if you can't enjoy the moment on a season like this, then. There's not much point in being a fan. You know, like mm-hmm. you're not, if you can only enjoy when you win the championship, then you're not going to have a lot of joy with your sports team. So you got to enjoy the years so that you're really, really
1: good. Yeah. And I, I totally agree. And, you know, you look back to, you know, the team the year before the Final Four winning the SEC regular season. And obviously with the injury to Anthony McLemore that got ran in the SEC tournament, got ran in the round of 32 again. Clemson, and that was a team that you know a lot of Auburn fans now aren't going to look back on that team, because a lot of people didn't watch Auburn basketball at that time, but I remember being so, so hyped up throughout that season, especially that that last home game we won the SEC regular season, it was like, oh my gosh, you know, as someone who had season tickets for the Tony Barbie era, you just saw horrible basketball for so long, and finally seeing Auburn win something in basketball, it felt so good, and even though you know, that team didn't really win anything. And I, the team wasn't that great. It was like, you look back on it and you remember so much fun throughout that whole season because you were like, we're good, we're winning. And even though we didn't win anything besides the SEC regular season, it still felt really good as a fan to watch. And then the next season, like, yeah, the final four was great, but like we won the SEC tournament that year. You know, we, we swept Alabama and Coleman, or, you know, it swept Alabama, beat them and Coleman. So it was kind of like... There were so many moments throughout that whole uh, throughout that whole season where you were just like, This is really fun. Auburn basketball is so fun to watch, whether we and you know, there were moments in that season where we didn't think we were gonna make the final four and we obviously we did, but it was like before we got high, you were still at the time where you were just hoping to win games and just enjoying the ride. And so I definitely think that we've strayed away from that. So I definitely think that's a, a great point to just focus on being good and just enjoying every game and enjoying watching a generational player come through Auburn, you know, like, you know, people in the past had Charles Barkley for multiple years because that was the rule you had to play multiple years in college. Like UNC had multiple years with Michael Jordan. Like we, we've got one year of Jabari Smith and we just gotta, you just gotta enjoy it. And he's going to be a great player in the NBA. And we just have to remember, be able to, to remember when it was like you don't just remember. Oh yeah, when that guy played at Auburn, we lost in the Sweet Sixteen. It's like no, you're gonna remember how well he played, and you know it's like if he scores thirty points against Florida, it's like oh, I remember going crazy with every shot when he played Florida. So I definitely agree with what you're saying, and I definitely think that it is something that we need to to harp on, just having fun, watching this team have fun. Yep. But uh feel that kind of wraps up our podcast for this week uh we'll be back next week around you know next week kind of thing we'll be breaking down south carolina and the florida game and being able to talk about other you know football things that pop up there are gonna be more guys that are coming back and more guys probably more guys going out and you know transfers all that good stuff we'll have a lot to talk about so uh as always thank you guys for listening so much uh if you're not if you're listening and you don't follow the auburn today podcast instagram Just hit us with a follow there, and if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to DM either page, uh, and I'll be answering all of those. So thank you guys again for listening, and War Eagle. War Eagle.